tonight. We want to go to Psalm 103, 103rd Psalm, and just read the first five verses. In fact, we were singing this just a few moments ago. Our words similar. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Imagine you just have awakened. You're in a hotel room. It's the first morning of your holidays. You open up the blinds. You step out onto the veranda. And there in all its majesty is Mount Everest. Or Mount Kilimanjaro. Or the Niagara Falls. Or the pyramids of Egypt or Waikiki in Hawaii. Wouldn't that be nice? And for a few moments you stand and you are mesmerized. You're completely taken with the sight that you're looking at. It's absolutely awesome to see. But while you're doing that and enjoying that, the spectacle, there's a goat herder at the bottom of Mount Everest. There's a man selling popcorn at the Niagara Falls. There's somebody who's doing camel rides at the pyramids. On a Waikiki beach, there's somebody who's renting out sunbeds. And for them, it's just another day in paradise. They've seen it a thousand times before. It no longer grabs their attention. It's always been there. They've always seen it. And so it's kind of ho-hum as far as they're concerned. And oftentimes it can be like that in the spiritual life. We lose our joy we lose the joy of our salvation. We lose the wonder and the glory and the thrill of being born again from above and being filled with God's Holy Spirit. And we're no longer wowed or amazed. We sing about it. We read about it. But do we actually feel it? Why? Because we've become accustomed. We know it. I know that you can't live in a permanent state of excitement or thrill or amazement. Because life has to be lived and there's all kinds of stuff that we have to do. But haven't you found that there are times when you could go days without actually stopping to think Lord, this is wonderful. You've saved me. You've made me fit for heaven. 
I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, at the beginning of our spiritual experience, our, our journey of faith, if I could use the term that the Bible uses in another context, we had a zeal without knowledge. We were enthused and excited and wide-eyed about what God had done for us, but we hadn't much knowledge. We couldn't even point to many scriptures at the start. But sometimes as you go on in your Christian journey, and maybe after a few years, sometimes then you find it's just the opposite. What you find is you have knowledge, but not much zeal. You have a head full of scriptures, but not much excitement in your heart. At the start, we have a lot of heat and not much light, and sometimes we can end up with all light and no heat. And so, let's just for a few moments tonight, I know it's hot and it's warm, and we're not deliberately trying to keep you, but let's just look at fresh eyes, with fresh eyes at our salvation. Let's not allow the familiarity of being saved rob us of the joy and the sense of wonder, for, wonder at this great gift of life that God has given to us. So what is so great about our salvation? Paul said, so great salvation. What's so great about it? All these are just simple observations. First of all, our sins are forgiven. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities. And in verse 12, it says, He removes them as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. Now, that may not be a big deal to you right now. Maybe it was at the start. But maybe now it's not such a big deal to you. Let me tell you, it's a big deal to God. The fact that we are forgiven is a big thing with God because God hates sin. Why? Because sin marred man who was made in the image of God. And he absolutely hates what it has done to mankind. What has it done? It has made man a drunkard, a drug addict, a prostitute, racks marriages, puts men and women in prison, it debases women, it abuses children, it corrupts, it destroys, it blasphemes, and above all, it separates men from God. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59 says, your sins have separated you from God. And we know that in Genesis, right back in the Garden of Eden, that's what separated Adam and Eve from God. They had a wonderful fellowship until sin came in and suddenly there was a great gulf between them. And God had to put them out of the garden for their own good. But that separation came because of sin. James says in James 1.15, sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Paul says in Romans 5 and 12, sin entered the world and death by sin. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 8 and 2, he speaks about the law of sin and death. Every time the Bible speaks about sin, 
invariably there's a connotation of death involved. What does that mean? Not just talking, those scriptures I read, it's not just talking about physical death, it's talking about spiritual death, separation from God. Physical death is when your soul and your spirit leaves your body, separates from your body. Spiritual death is when your spirit and soul is separated from God, when it's dead to God. We're dead in sins. The second death the Bible talks about is even worse than that. It's when the body and the spirit and the soul completely, the whole person is separated from God forever eternally. So no wonder God hates it. It cost his son his life to overcome it. Revelation 1 and 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Years ago, we used to sing regularly in here, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood? There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Remember all those old hymns, weren't they good? Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's a fountain filled with blood. We used to sing about the blood continually because we realized the cost to Jesus, price that had to be paid. And so what a wonderful gift of life this is that our sins have been forgiven. Secondly, that we have such a wonderful Savior and what a wonderful Savior He is. John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and Colossians chapter 1. All of those three chapters tells us that Jesus was the Creator, and without Him was nothing made that was made. He was the one who created everything. And yet, the Creator of everything became a man. He became as one of His creation, and He came down to this earth. Isaiah 9 and 6, His name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Wonderful. Isn't He wonderful tonight? And somehow we lose the wonder of His being wonderful. Whenever He was born, it was wonderful. Any birth is wonderful. We've had some births in the church recently, and all of them have been uniquely wonderful, particularly for the mums and the dads. It's a very, very special moment, isn't it? There's no other moment can be compared with it. When you hold that little life in your hands, and the realization is that you made that little life. That's part of your life that you have made together. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. From conception to birth, the fusing together of bone and tissue and muscle and arteries, it's a wonder, isn't it? The coalescing of spirit and soul and body into one entity with a distinct personality. It's wonderful. And of course, Jesus 
his birth was wonderful too. Do you understand tonight that Christ was the only man who was alive before he was born? He was the only man who was alive before he was born. It's wonderful. In Galatians 4 and 4 tells us about him. It said he was born of a woman. Now the Bible doesn't state the obvious for the obvious. I mean, everybody that's ever been born has been born of a woman, have they not? So Paul here is not just state the obvious. He's saying that Christ was born of a woman, begotten, not created. You know, God could have sent him down as a 30-year-old man. When God made Adam, when he created Adam, he created him a full-grown man. Not a little baby, a full-grown man. Could God not have sent his son as a 30-year-old full-grown man and then for the next three years have his ministry and die on the cross the way he did at the end? Would that not have been okay? No. God made him a little baby, born of a woman, to be fully man, to fully identify with us in our humanity. Imagine the infinite becomes an infant. God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. It's a wonder, isn't it? As well as a mystery. And it is wonderful. Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, he says, for this cause... I came into this world. For this cause I came into this world. Well, doesn't everybody come into this world? The difference was Jesus came from another world into this world. We didn't come from another world, but Jesus came from another world into this world, didn't he? And this is the wonder of it. He was with the Father throughout all eternity. As the third person, the second person in the divine Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet he came into this world. See, this speaks of that divine mission. He says, I came forth from the Father. He said, the Father has sent me. He said, I was born, and I came into this world. I was born. This is his humanity. I came into this world. This is his deity. It's a mystery. It's a wonder. It's wonderful. I'll tell you what else was wonderful about his birth was when it happened. See, God hadn't spoken for 400 years. The heavens were as brass. There was no speaking prophet, no angels appearing, no voice, no message, nothing. Then after 400 years, Here's a priest and his wife, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Just an ordinary couple, but a godly couple, a righteous couple. And here they are, living in obscurity. And because there was 24 divisions of priests, and every division of the priests got to serve in the temple in Jerusalem two times a year. 
for a week at a time. And of course, that was a wonderful thing for them to get to do. And it came a time for Zacharias, for his division of the priests to serve in the temple. And not only that, the Bible tells us that lots were cast to see who would burn incense on the golden altar of incense, which is in the holy place just before the holiest of holies, without curtain dividing. And the reason why lots were cast, because this was a very, very special privilege. You might be a priest all of your life and never get this opportunity. And it just so happened, seemingly, seemingly by chance, but actually it was by providence. It was in the purpose of God that Zacharias, that day the lot was cast for him to go and burn incense on the golden altar. Do you remember what happened in there to burn the incense? See, while he would be burning the incense, outside all the other priests and a multitude of people would be praying, and they'd be praying for the nation, and they'd be praying for Messiah to come. And while he was burning the incense, lo and behold, at the right-hand side of the altar appears the mighty angel Gabriel. Do you know the last time before this that an angel appeared to anybody in the Old Testament? It was almost 500 years before this to Zechariah the prophet. By the way, Zacharias is another name for Zechariah. And it was in vision form. He didn't actually have an angel stand in front of him. He'd seen it in the vision. But here is Zacharias, and this is no vision. This is the angel Gabriel standing in front of him telling him that his prayer has been answered, that his wife would bear a child, and you shall call his name John, and a lot more besides. And then he remember what happened. He wanted a sign. So Gabriel gave him a sign. He said, you'll not be able to speak till this child is born. And he couldn't speak till this child was born. Can you imagine that? Couldn't say a word struck dumb. And when the child was born, and the eighth day after it was born, it was getting circumcised, his mouth opened, and he said, his name shall be called John, which was very unusual for a start. Six months later, six months after the angel first appeared, to John, or to, Zechari to Zacharias, telling about this child that would be born. Six months later, the same angel comes to another couple, to Mary. And he gives Mary a greater thrill, a greater prophecy, a greater miracle was going to happen, that she would bear the Christ, the Son of God. And at the time this happened was the best possible time for Christ to come. There was peace all over the world because the Romans enforced it. They'd opened up great highways and sea lanes all over the world. And Christ came at the right time. And he came in the right way. No wonder it is a wonder. His name shall be called Wonderful. 
And so we have a wonderful Savior tonight, haven't we? And we have a God who truly, truly cares. What did it say in that psalm we just read? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And then look farther on down. Verse 13. For as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. We have a God who truly, truly cares for us tonight, haven't we? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, Peter says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe tonight that we have a wonderful Savior, that we have a God who cares for us? Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, nine verses, three times Jesus said, do not worry. He also said, why do you worry? In Matthew 10, he talks about the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, for a copper coin? And then in another scripture, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? So a farthing buys you two, Two farthing buys you five. You get one thrown in for free. And he noted the one that was thrown in. He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I don't know about you, but the older you get, your hair seems to get less. You may be one of the fortunate ones, but most of us, our hair gets a little bit thinner, doesn't it? Hmm? Every time you brush it, seems to be more hairs come out in that brush. It's hard to believe that God's counting every one of them, isn't it? But He is. That's what Jesus said. That's how much He cares about us. So we have a God who truly, truly cares. And then we have an eternal future. Here's a scripture that I have often used at a gravesite. Job 14, 14. If a man die, shall he live again? See, that's a question that has taxed the minds of men for millenniums. If a man die, shall he live again? Is there anything beyond this life? It's a big argument today, isn't it, especially? Well, Job asked the question. He was feeling pretty miserable. His whole world had caved in around him. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. No wonder he asked the question. He felt like he was going to die. 
So he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? And then in chapter 19, he answers his own question. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, who I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns for this. What a wonderful prophetic scripture that is. What a wonderful prophetic statement he uttered from his lips. Little did he know that one day that Redeemer would come. He spoke the words. He prophesied the words. But little did he know that after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that the Redeemer would come and he would give his life, he would lay it down and he would raise it up again. And because he lives, the Bible says, we shall live also. <laughs> because he's alive, we shall be alive. Will not that be a wonderful day when our eyes shall behold him and not another? Do you ever lie in your bed at night and wonder what he's like? God's smart. He never left us an idol, a picture, a statue. We have all kinds of artists' impressions. We have all kinds of sculptors. But it's just conjecture, isn't it? It's just guesswork. Do you ever, in a moment, lie in your bed and wonder, what does he really look, look like? What size was he? What color was his hair? You have to go to the book of Revelation. And of course, when you see him in the book of Revelation, it's not quite as you imagine him to be in the Gospels. Because when you see him in the book of Revelation, he's shining brighter than the sun. Glory to God. What a joy it's going to be to see him face to face. When all of our eyes shall behold him and not another. Well, I know we say when we get to heaven, we want to see this person, that person, the other person, this loved one, that loved one. And all of that's true and all of that's good. But the first one we want to see is him, isn't it? He's the first one. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so we have an eternal future. Sally's father is 95. He has no desire to leave this life just yet. He said to her the other day, he wants to get his car taxed and insured again. <laughs> Whether that will ever happen, I don't know. He's ready to go. He's saved. He's ready to go, but not quite yet. He thinks, if I could get that car, if I could go into Littles again, if I could take my sister to get, her hair, get the hairdresser to do her hair again, and he's 95. As I said to you privately, you wouldn't want to be in with him driving, but nevertheless, that's his desire. 
But he's not going to live forever, that's for sure. And even if he lives to 100, did you see in the paper the other week where somebody's 114 to live to? I don't know if I want to live to 114. Not the shape men at the minute, anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe if you're super fit <laughs> and you could remember everything, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sally's father, uh, he may be getting an operation and he may not. She said to him, uh, have they offered you the operation with your ticket? I certainly will, he said. <laughs> certainly will. <laughs> There's none of this, ah, well, I've had my day. <laughs> he doesn't feel he's had his day yet. But all of us someday will have had our day. And then it starts. Time is such a tiny little bit of eternity, isn't it? just a breath, isn't it? But then for all eternity, we'll live in His presence where there is fullness of joy. There's some moments in life, and, and there's just, it just lasts sometimes for seconds when there's, there's just something that's really exciting happens, and there's just a moment of just sheer joy. And as fleeting, it's gone, isn't it? But then there will be fullness of joy forever and forever and forever. No wonder we'll have to get a new body to contain all of that. It'll be wonderful, won't it? For you have created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. All things were created by him and through him and for him. You were made for a purpose. When God brought you into this world, he had a purpose for your life, for all of your life, for all of eternity. There's not a one of us that hasn't got a purpose in life because God made us with purpose and for a purpose. So thank God for our salvation tonight. Aren't you glad? Isn't it great to be saved? It really is. We don't really think about that enough. Just to think that if life was to stop tonight, that all eternity you'll be in His presence. And not only that, you've got the best life here and now, as well as what's ahead. What a wonderful salvation we've got. Lord, we stop and give you thanks tonight. There's just so many mercies that you've shown. There's just so many blessings that you have bestowed. So many gifts and graces that you've given. So many good things, Lord, that you've stored up for your children. Lord, it's going to take all of eternity to display your grace towards us. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We bless you for the gift of life. Thank you that we're saved tonight. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're fit and ready for heaven. And Lord, for the rest of this life on earth, our plan is to serve you all the days of our life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.